And we are back, and I want to thank Mr. Millen for finding all that wonderful bumper music we employ to hopefully good effect on this program week in and week out. Anyway, back to Hawaii. When you're on vacation, sometimes you don't get as much reading in as you'd like. I can uh, heartily endorse a couple of good resources for you, dear listener, if you want to travel over to Kauai. The first would be the Lonely Planet edition, which now has a book dedicated to the Garden Island. We've talked on the show about bringing Tony Wheeler on the program, and, you know, we're going to try and do that. They, they, they are based, one of their uh, bases of operations is Oakland. There's a chance we can get Tony Wheeler on the show to talk about how his Lonely Planet series has changed, I think, how a lot of us uh, move about the world. Another excellent book is titled The, the Ultimate Kawaii Guidebook. It's by Andrew Doty. Like I said, a couple of excellent resources. Um, reading The Lonely Planet, I, I gained some data that I, I was unaware of as regards to Hawaii becoming a state. And, and by the way, for you birthers, Hawaii was a state when Barack Obama was born there. But uh, I was slightly surprised to find out that uh, Hawaii was put off for statehood for quite a long time. It's no small part due to the fact that uh, Southern conservatives, both Democrat and Republican, weren't too keen to bring these brown-skinned people into the U.S. I would advise you, dear listener, um, before you make the trip, to do some reading about the history of the islands. It is quite fascinating. The takeover of the islands by Caucasians from the native Hawaiians started in the early 1800s by missionaries. The famous quote in Hawaii is that they came to do good and did very well. And I must say, one, one reason I would like to sort of push tourism of the Hawaiian Islands is that in some cases, uh, that's what keeps the economy afloat over there. I was not aware of this fact, but sugarcane is now out. Apparently with the collapse of U.S. sugar prices, which I don't know much about, but apparently there has been one, has meant that uh, growing sugarcane in the islands is no longer profitable. Pineapples, you know, disappeared uh, some time ago. The island of Lanai used to be one giant pineapple plantation. It's now been open to tourism because, I guess, Dole pulled out. Mr. Midland suggests that there may be some um, skullduggery by the high fructose corn syrup people. We're going to look into that. And I do want to, I was appalled. I was appalled to go try in the Hawaiian Islands to buy some guava juice and discover that it was, like it is here, sweetened with high fructose, bad tasting corn syrup. If you've had the real stuff, which is sweetened with sugar, you know, or perhaps even cane juice, you'll know it is one of the best tasting drinks you'll ever find. But at any rate, Hawaii seems to be making a comeback. Since its discovery, it's had many ups and downs. It was in a bit of a trough as recently as the 1970s, when it was pretty clear that the native Hawaiians, what few of them were left, were um, pretty much unable to buy land anywhere. Some of this goes back to the deals cut with the Hawaiian king in 1848, where uh, the royalty decided that they could sell off land and exchange it for Western goods. But I liked very much a little blurb in uh, Mr. Uh, Doty's book, which said that the story of Hawaii is not a story of good versus evil. Nearly everyone shares in the blame for what happened to the Hawaiian people and their culture. Nevertheless, today, Hawaii is struggling to redefine its identity. The islands are looking back to the past for guidance. During your stay, you'll be exposed to a place that is attempting to recapture its cultural roots. There's more interest in Hawaiian culture and language than ever before. Sometimes it is clumsy, sometimes awkward. There's no common agreement regarding how to do it. But in the end, a reinvigoration of the Hawaiian spirit will no doubt be enjoyed by all. 
have to add that I was in the islands with my folks back in the 1990s, during which time they were holding a hula competition. If you're expecting any smart-ass remarks at this point, you're going to be disappointed because I thought it was pretty cool. The, the hula to the Hawaiians is so much more than, you know, the show at the luau. But, but I would add, to whatever degree those luau's with their shows of Polynesian dancing kept the uh, tradition alive and made it desirable, I, that's probably a good thing. When you go to a tropical paradise, Hawaii, Costa Rica, Mexico, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, etc., you should keep in mind, and, 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 I'm, and I'm sure you will, dear listener, that there are a certain number of risks involved. Which reminds me of one of the jokes thrown out by our kayak guide, Adrian, which was, do you know how to save a lawyer from drowning? I said, no. He said, good. And I can't resist quoting at this point again from Mr. Dougherty's book, The Ultimate Kauai Guidebook. He said, in past editions, we've had the sad task of removing places that you can no longer visit. The reason, universally cited, is liability. Although Hawaii has a statute indemnifying landowners, the mere threat is often enough to get something closed. But we, more than any other publication, have exposed heretofore unknown attractions. We feel the need to pass this along. You need to assess what kind of traveler you are. We've been accused of leaning a bit toward the adventurous side, so you should take that into account when deciding what's right for you. Please remember, this isn't Disneyland. It's nature. Mother Nature is hard, slippery, sharp, and unpredictable. If you go exploring and get into trouble, whether it's your ego that's bruised or something more tangible, please remember that neither the state, the private land owner, nor this publication told you to go. You chose to explore, which is what life and this book are all about. And if you complain to or threaten someone controlling land, they'll rarely fix the problem you identified. They'll simply close it, and it will be gone for good. This is especially pertinent to note because in the news of late, someone apparently uh, got sucked down into the spouting hole and was killed because they were too close. They put themselves between the sea and where the sea cave spews out salt water. This is a bad place to stand if a rogue wave should come breaking on the shore, as it did recently. Also in the news of late was the fact that uh, someone managed to jump off into a waterfall, into the pool at a waterfall in, in Kauai, and was killed. And I'm here to tell you, that can, that can happen when you jump off a rocks into pools of water. Well, as a result, that waterfall access has now been cut off, and nobody can visit it. Noted the guidebook, sometimes even good intentions can lead to disaster. At one adventure, a trailhead led hikers to the base of a wonderful waterfall. There was only one trail, to the left at the parking lot. Neither we, other guides, nor other websites ever said, stay on the trail to the left, because at the time, there was only one trail to take. The state, in their zeal to protect themselves from liability in an unmaintained trail, came along and put up a danger keep outside at the trailhead. Travelers encountering the sign assumed they were on the wrong trail and started to beat a path to the right instead. But that direction started sloping downwards and ended abruptly at a 150-foot-high cliff. Hikers retreated, and in short time, a previously non-existent trail to the right became as prominent as the correct and heretofore only path to the left. Not long after the state's well-intentioned sign went up, an unwitting pair of hikers took the new incorrect trail to the right and fell to their deaths. They probably died because they'd been dissuaded from taking the correct trail by a state sign theoretically erected to keep people safe. 
They went on to note, our point is that nothing is static and nothing can take the place of your own observations and good judgment. If you're doing one of the activities you read about in our book or someplace else your inst- and your instincts tell you that something's wrong, trust your judgment and go do another activity. There are lots of wonderful things to do on the island and we want to keep you safe and happy. I think those are words of wisdom, so I wanted to share them. And, and I guess I probably shouldn't share the following story but it, it makes because it makes me so mad I want to kill someone. But in this case, the perp is definitely dead, so he's safe. On the island of Kauai, there's a tourist attraction called the Spouting Horn, which actually I just mentioned. It's a blowhole. There's a lava cave beneath. When the seawater comes crashing in, it goes down the cave and then spews out the top of a hole, making a bit of a geyser. These are found all over the world. There's one down near Ensenada called La Bufadora, a name I've, I've always loved, because it translates roughly as the farter. But apparently, and I did not know this, the spouting horn was formerly dwarfed by an adjacent blowhole called the Kikuilula sea plume. That sea plume would shoot quite a bit higher, as much as 200 feet in the air. But apparently, on an early Sunday morning back in the 1920s, a sugar company manager ordered one of his workers to drop blasting powder into the hole to widen it so the plume wouldn't shoot into the air. The reason? The salt spray from the geyser was stunting the growth of about 10 acres of cane among the company's thousands of acres, and this manager wasn't going to stand for that. Noted the guidebook, and I have not done this, but it notes that from down the lava shelf, you can see its remains in the form of a large rectangular aperture to the left of the current blowhole opening. What a jerk, eh? But balancing that off somewhat is a sort of a surprising hero, or in this case, heroine. If you travel up the east side of the island of Hawaii, you'll pass through a town of Kapa'a, a town incidentally where my grandpa was born. And you may see what's called a temporary bypass road that goes from the town of Wailua in a loop up and around Kapa'a. Now, this is probably the most heavily populated area on the island. Of course, in saying that, we're probably talking about 15,000 people. But a lot of folks were concerned that, uh, you know, some development might spread out from Kapaf to Wailua and sort of give that whole area kind of a big city feel. You know what I'm talking about if you've been to uh, Maui. Well, local residents were quite concerned about this, and it, you know, it probably, you know, probably would be too much development. Well, enter Bette Midler. She's apparently a part-time resident. She bought up 1,400 acres and uh, promised the locals that she'd never put anything other than trees on it. Just we'd have to add, way to go, bet. You'll be great, I can tell, just wait. That lucky star I talk about is good. Honey, everything's coming up, roses for me and for you. Anyway, before we get too lost in, in the Hawaiian Islands, let's return back to the mainland and hear what our good pal Will Durst has to say about things political. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a couple of suggestions as to how America can best get through these tough times. Because face it, this country is in an economic hole so deep we're rubbing elbows with moles. You can feel the heat from the core of the earth and the soles of your feet. We're so broke, Greece considers us deadbeats. We need a cosigner to play pinball. 
Now, when this sort of thing happens to families, what they do is tighten their belts and figure out ways to cut back on expenses and bring in more money. Exactly what we should be doing. For instance, there's no reason why we should continue to fund congressional elections in the Bible Belt. Just give the candidates an IQ test, and the one with the lowest score wins. Just a cheap alternative that ends in the same result. And do we really need nine Supreme Court judges? Couldn't we just slide by with seven? Considering some of their recent decisions, I'd hazard to say that you could appoint a junior grade accountant to flip a coin, and that would handle the gig just as well. As for revenue, look at all the wasted white space on the side of the Washington Monument. Perfect spot for our tall, skinny billboard. Don't worry, we'll just advertise on one side at a time, or two. The exclusivity makes it worth more. What about renting out our armed forces to the highest bidder? Oh, wait. No, we already do that. Okay. Well, we should charge more. Finally, instead of working surreptitiously to influence foreign elections, what we do is offer up our official endorsement for a hefty fee. And if it would better assist our clients' needs, we support their opponent. I'm thinking that option would be the more popular. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. He is America's foremost political comic, and we're glad to have him. And as regards the stupidity of people vying for the public nomination, which we were talking about a moment ago, we do want to add, thanks to an email sent us by Mr. Smith, that the percentage of Americans who believe the Earth has been warming rose to 83% from 75% last year. It is somewhat curious that despite these uh, results by a Reuters-Ipsos poll, that, uh, as we mentioned, all the Republican presidential candidates, aside from John Huntsman, have mostly blasted the idea that emissions from burning fossil fuels and other human actions are actually warming the planet. Of course, we're talking about folks here that, <laughs> that blast the idea that evolution is a biological reality. And I believe it was the former UCD professor Theodosius Dobzhansky, or was it G. Ledyard Stebbins? I don't know. One of these great evolutionary biologists once said that nothing makes sense in biology without evolution. I might want to plug that great evolution uh, special edition of Discover Magazine, which we talked about in the show a couple weeks back. Nice effort. But it had one piece inside on Ernest Haeckel, the man who proposed that ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Now, we've used that phrase in our promotions uh, for this show, heard on this radio station, because we think it's a pretty funny line. Because... Nobody knows what phylogeny means, or for that matter, certainly what ontogeny means, and a lot of people are a little bit dubious on what recapitulate means, which means it's one hell of a three-word phrase. But what it means, basically, is that uh, embryos, as they develop, go through the stages that an organism did evolutionarily. Now, this is undeniably true to a certain extent, but I guess... uh, Haeckel's problem was he oversimplified it and apparently changed some of the drawings he published to make them, you know, a little clearer, (laughs) i.e. a little bit more divergent from reality. There are people proposing, and this is actually not bad science, that you could take current creatures and by activating genes that, uh, that were more in play in the past, recreate the previous organism. We refer you to an article on this in New Scientist, 20 of August of this year, talking about how, well, an alligator fetus is not so different from a chicken fetus. And most people have not taken a course in embryology. 
To which I would hasten to add, I wish I could say that. But unfortunately, I've taken it twice. And while it is a potentially fascinating subject, it never seemed to be that way when I was getting lectured at. But lest I digress, the science in this is, is, is pretty solid. Somewhere in our genetic makeup are, are things we used to be evolutionary previously. It's because organisms don't start over. They have to deal with the information they have at hand, and one way you can build something new is to lay down a structure and then selectively kill off cells in a certain part to make a new structure. None of us have tails, but we all did at one point in the womb. But anyway, this science we're talking about is from some fancy-pants guys, evolution and biologists over at Harvard. Arhat Abzanov. He's been tinkering with the genes and embryos to see if he can get them to form different structures. There's no reason why, in theory, you couldn't turn a bird beak into, uh, you know, jaws. It's very strange stuff. We don't have any uh, time to go into it today. We may have to do a correction to our previous promotional uh, piece on this station and note that uh, ontogeny more or less recapitulates phylogeny. We do want to be exact about these things. You know, I, re I really can't go to break after talking about that. So let's pull one from the Dave Berry file here before we go out. This comes from the Dave Berry calendar from the September 1st uh, entry, wherein Dave noted that every now and then, an I dare you to print this, I-D-Y-T-P-T letter, deserves to be printed. I have one here taking strong issue with a column I wrote about the national poker craze. In that, I said that watching people play poker on TV is boring. Because all that happens is a bunch of guys who look like severe hemorrhoid sufferers sit around peeking at cards. This did not sit well with Sharon Warden, also known, according to her letter, as Royal Flush Mama. She dared me to print the fact that I am a fool, as well as being both dumb and stupid. <laughs> her letter states that contrary to what I said, poker players do not use terms like sneak a gander and kiss the eel. She also questions my masculinity, noting that, quote, poker is truly a man's game and a few women. As for poker players on TV, she writes, did you ever know that just about all of them are millionaires or very famous? Also, she notes, none of us have hemorrhoids. Says Dave, she does not say how she knows this. All right, let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Mr. Merlin, can you, can you find some Don Ho? Tiny bubbles and make me happy, make me feel fine. Tiny bubbles make me warm. Silver sea, and mostly here's a toast 